1: Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis
2: Podcast.
3: Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast and welcome to Melbourne for the Australian Open series of Tennis Podcasts. My name is David Law from BBC Radio 5 Live, joined of course by Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. For the first time, we are also brought to you in association with Eurosport, who have exclusive television rights in the UK And we are guaranteed to bring you 45 weekly shows and 45 Grand Slam daily shows because of you. The people that have backed us on Kickstarter, Catherine Whitaker is here inside, actually, the BBC commentary box. We've, we've stolen in, haven't we, Catherine? And we're sitting here foot height to Angelique Kerber, the world number one, as she's going through her paces with Yulia Gergas, her compatriot, just practising in an empty stadium. We are hiding here. She doesn't even know we're here. We're behind a little commentary box glass, which thankfully is reinforced because the ball thuds cannons into this glass right in front of us just a foot away from my face as i talk to you right now and she doesn't know we're here we know she's here it's an empty stadium but isn't it good to be here roof roof's closed raining
1: it's pretty much the best commentary position in the world i'm sure center court might have something to say about that but I think this is spectacular. I'm, I am have to keep reminding myself that it is one-way glass because you could swear they're looking, you, looking at you in the eye. The players, when they come back and grab their towel or, you know, whatever they're doing at the back of the court, you could swear they're making eye contact with you. But it is one-way glass. All you can hear is, you can just about hear the thuds in the background. Angelique Kerber is probably a, about i'm not very good with distances 10 meters away from us just at the moment 10 meters
3: yeah well i'm two meters tall so if i lay down five times yeah i think you'd be about right uh, catherine we've just had the draw we're going to be talking about the draw it's thrown up all sorts of permutations for the next two weeks uh, it is friday as we come to you uh they've had the draw and we are trying to get over jet lag at the moment catherine whittaker's been here for a couple of days how are you feeling catherine i got in late last night
1: i feel Great actually, but i 'm surprised at how good you feel You're surprised. you surprised well, you usually get taken out quite badly with jet lag, but rumor has it you 've been on the old, uh, old, on the old melatonin that is the the buzzword amongst media at the moment. It seems to be the secret
3: i 'm quite glad i don 't have to get tested for it <laughs> uh, but anyway
1: uh, law in doping scandal
3: yeah exactly thankfully i 'm not an athlete in any way, shape, or form. We must just uh, very quickly say, catherine how Excited we are the fact that we're doing this at a grand slam because of the the, the wonderful support that we 've been shown on Kickstarter. There is still thirty six hours or so left of our crowdfunding Kickstarter to, to go so if you had been intending to to back the show and you know get your name on the website as a friend of the tennis podcast, maybe you want one of the categories and and to introduce a show or or the uh, the the creme de la creme, of taking us on in our predictions competition for the year, Catherine. Oh, I can't believe how many people have done it. We've, there's about 14 of us now. There's only six spaces left. So that's still a possibility if you want to take on Catherine Whitaker and take her apart at the, the predictions competition. Catherine's... Shaking your head. Oh, that was a thud from the the ball into the glass that almost hit Simon Briggs, who we're going to be bringing in from the telegraph in just a moment or so. But it has been heartwarming, hasn't it? I was 35,000 feet in the air when the final pledge took us over the line for Grand Slam Dailies by a contributor known as Rosie G, who has actually set up her own Twitter handle as a result of that, which is Rosie, not the dog.
1: Yeah, she's my new favourite person. <laughs> I did, when you sent me WhatsApps from the sky, as you did, excited WhatsApps from the sky, saying, uh, saying we'd made the target. And uh, you're right, it was a pretty overwhelming moment um or made the second target made the you know the uber target um i mean the first was an overwhelming enough moment um i asked for some details about this rosie g character to, just to verify that it wasn't a member of the whitaker family <laughs> posing as rosie but as far as i can tell it is not any of my extended family it is just a lovely listener and we're very very grateful to rosie g and to everybody else we are. it's contributed, because, uh, yeah, we're blown away.
3: We are, indeed. Let's speak to Mr Simon Briggs from The Telegraph, who's been here a few days. And, Simon, you should by now be thoroughly over jet lag. How's it going?
2: Uh, completely the opposite direction to that. Um, no thanks to the Lawn Tennis Association, who decided in their wisdom last night that they were going to announce the departure of Chief Executive Michael Downey at i think it was 2 p.m english time 1 a.m for all the uh, tennis reporters in melbourne and then followed by a conference call at one thirty. and that was kind of the last straw in a week which has left me extremely tired and emotional i'm about to take somebody's head off if you say anything i don't deg- agree with you're going to get a flamethrower i can tell you great uh Kevin, i'm just going to move over here
3: um and uh Yeah, great to have Simon with us, of course, from The Telegraph. He has been, I've been reading all his stuff all week long, and um, he's been writing about, including a story uh, about uh, Andy Murray uh, committing to the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club for the rest of his career. You can't get away from him now, not that you'd want to. BBC will be covering that until 2024. But Catherine, this draw has been done today, and... I think, above all else, we'll we'll go through various parts of it. The the bit that I enjoyed the most was when Federer and Nadal came out, and they weren't in people's projected final eights because their seedings are not high enough. But I just love the way they are chucked in to other top-seeded players' sections of the draw. And it's like, right, there you go, Thomas Burdick. Deal with it. Roger Federer, round three.
1: Well, they're in my projected top eight. Well so certainly Roger Federer is. So I don't know who these people are that are writing off Federer and Nadal, but they're wrong. I think actually one of them might be in our in our midst, but we'll get onto that in a minute. But uh yeah well I think actually the the biggest draw of breath came with Djokovic and Vidasco I think I wasn't actually physically there when the names were drawn I was watching it on a little stream uh, on a little screen cuz it was all live streamed and all the rest of it as they are these days it was running late wasn't it because of the late arrival of Novak Djokovic Uh, I think if you're defending champion, that's probably allowed. But um, yeah, there was a bit of agitation on Twitter that the whole thing was being delayed and you knew the whole thing was going to take about four hours anyway. So (laughs) people like Simon who were... On, on a deadline weren't particularly happy but I
3: was quite happy because I just decided to publish your blog at that very point and give everybody chance to digest it it's about Andy Murray everybody uh the uh, the, the behind the scenes look from Catherine Whitaker about what he's like to deal with uh, off the court uh, so do have a go and look at that Twitter is where you can get the link Catherine
1: thanks for plugging my blog date. it's all right
3: it's the one and only thing so enjoy it while you can
1: I did a I did a first blog as well during which I revealed that my dad has sort of unofficially started the Simon Briggs fan club. So I don't want to make Simon, you know, uncomfortable. But he is now, blushing. For now it's in print. So how do you feel about that, Simon?
3: You're, you're popular in the Whitaker household, but oh, yeah, not I, that popular with her.
2: I need encouragement. I, I am struggling. But I, I should actually add that as well as being potentially angry during this podcast, I, I also described, well, I spoke to my news editor in London on the way into this, this um, draw this morning. I can't even talk straight, can I? <laughs> Oh. And uh by accident I called him darling. Um which wasn't actually my attention at all. It was like that moment at school when you call you call the teacher Dad. He's quite a grizzled um, chap from you know, north of England. So he either thinks I'm I'm a lovey or I've got a concealed crush on him now. Or both. Excellent. Uh
3: so, darling, uh what do you think about the drop no, let's uh Catherine, first of all. Um what what do you think, though? So so the point you were making about the draw is that you've got Djokovic drawing Vidasko, which I have to say, that that gave me a, sh- a pretty sharp intake of breath. We asked on Twitter a few days ago for for people's nightmare draws for their player, for the player that they support the most, and virtually all the Djokovic fans were saying Vidasko. Of course, he had five match points against Djokovic in Doha. I mean, really typically resilient play from Djokovic to dig himself out but Vadasco threw that away now I spoke to a couple of people just now who were both saying they think Djokovic will just take him apart this time
1: I have to say I agree I think if that Doha match hadn't have happened I would give Vadasco a greater shout at causing the upset I think I can't believe Vidaska won't be thinking about, with, even with all his experience, be thinking about those five match points. I think it could, as great as it looks on paper and as great as it could potentially be, I have a feeling it could be a damp squid and it could be... Djokovic is really going to want to step out there and say, you think I've got a tough draw? Take a look at this. That's not a tough Well, I mean, it is a tough draw, but I'm playing well enough to deal with it. I, th- I think, yeah, I think it could be a dismantling.
3: Well, what else has Djokovic got in his sections of the draw If you to look down his part of the draw
1: He's got Dimitrov When? Uh, I find it very difficult to, to But I think it's in Fourth round fourth Yeah, round, looking at
3: yeah. your draw here And uh, in order for Dimitrov to get there Actually, I mean, these are players that he should beat There's an Australian wildcard in the first round uh, And uh, Gasquet Yeah, oh, well, hold on a minute Simon Briggs points to Richard Gasquet, though As a third round I mean, Gasquet can beat Dimitrov, can't he?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think Dimitrov and Djokovic will meet in the fourth round.
3: Catherine Whitaker, very, very confident. Uh, Simon Briggs, uh, you, you've just been speaking to, to Grigor Dimitrov. I don't know whether we can give away the full detail of your interview, but generally speaking, how did you find
2: his state of mind? Well, he looks fit. Um, I, was, I was actually thinking he looked like he'd lost weight in the in, in sense of... Uh, he's pretty lean and, and muscular he was he was in good spirits he, we had a bit of a joke about um, his kind of ongoing uh, popularity with the sort of gossip sheets and and the lifestyle mags and he, he said they, they they do hound me he said for as long as I can remember and sometimes I wonder whether anybody else is doing anything out there <laughs> it's just me but but he was saying it in a, in a humorous way he wasn't really moaning I think he's in a good place um, I saw him and I saw Danny Valverde, do his coach the, the pair of them they go together really well. I, I think uh, Valverde is so unflappable, and they just seem to have established a mateship. He's also been hanging around with, a lot with his physio. Um, no, I don't mean that. I mean his fitness trainer, who's a guy called Sebastian Durand, who took him to the arcades in Melbourne. Apparent in um, I'm getting everything wrong in Brisbane, and they played on the on the racing games and basketball in the arcades every night. So, I think he's relaxed and playing well. He obviously won Brisbane his first ATP tournament for two and a half years. Yeah, that that was a big win for him. He played superbly well in
3: that. We covered that a few days ago. In that section, what do you think, though? Do you think Djokovic will end up in the quarters and, and so on? Do you think anybody's going to derail Djokovic early on?
2: Not really. I mean, I do think that Vadasco, he beat Nadal here in the first round last year in a match which uh, was a role reversal for a previous near miss against Nadal. So maybe he could draw on that. Um, there are certain similarities this year having had a near miss against Novak. But, I mean, I always bet on Novak to do every uh, achievement almost. And, and the way he played in Doha was certainly enough to make you think that he's back on track. And there's that little bit, we talked about
3: Federer and Nadal not being in the top eight. And, and I feel as though that, that in a way, will liberate them even more. I think they become more dangerous. They'll they'll feel like underdogs, even if they aren't underdogs. Certainly Federer, I think, is going to play with that 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 emotion, that sense. And I think there's a little bit of that about Djokovic just at the moment. He's been knocked off his perch by Andy Murray and I think there's a little bit of the old defiance back at, in his eye at the moment and I think that that makes him more and more dangerous. Catherine Whitaker, the rest of his draw.
1: Oh, crikey. I'm, I'm the, the Djokovic draw correspondent. Well, yeah, Gregor Dimitrov, fourth round. I've, I've said that's happening. And then uh, potential quarter-finalists are... Team, team or Goffin are probably the ones you're looking at in that quarter. Um, team unimpressive yesterday against Dan Evans. It had to be said. If you, but that's
3: because Dan Evans was so impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean he was great. He was great. But in a third set, in the second week of the season, you don't want to be being outlasted by Dan Evans, do you? I mean, I mean, you need to be having a word with yourself in the mirror or at least having a good old chat with Gunter Bresnik, your coach, if that's what's happening. Just, just short it out, Dominic.
2: Simon Briggs? Well, I think I saw a stat that team is 11-11 and 11 since uh, the US Open, something like that. And I know Catherine always points out his bonkers scheduling. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, he does look, he does look exhausted. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about it a lot.
3: He's also added tournaments to his schedule in February. I don't get it, I must say. No,
1: tournaments in South America in February that don't fit in at all, you do have this sort of of out-of-the-way, sort of almost self-enclosed South American swing that happens, which is a very valid and interesting part of the calendar, but you tend to get sort of clay court specialist type players going down there and doing the whole swing, but players that wouldn't necessarily get into Indian Mills or Miami or both or do that whole swing. It just doesn't fit in with with the top 10 players' schedule. You don't see Federer going down and playing in Acapulco and in Rio, and there's a reason for that. You know, schedule management is an enormous part of being a top player. I don't know what he's playing at.
3: I'd quite like to play an acapulco. So it looks really nice there. I mean, I'm not very good at tennis, but do you, do you think he's a masochist?
2: This is my theory on team. That he's a kind of tennis equivalent of that guy in the Da Vinci Code, who kind of wraps uh, sort of sort of studded cloth around his leg and and sort of and then turns turns the handle to make himself uh, make himself in pain. He seems to almost want to go through. These absurd um, demonstrations of, of his of his fortitude, and it, it's not doing him any favors.
3: Well, look, I, I am going to seek him out in a press conference this week, assuming he wins first round, and I, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to see if if I can get enough time. I want to find out why.
1: I, th- I think you owe it to the tennis podcast, David. And well, if it's not me, it's you. Yeah, well, absolutely. You yeah. need to do it. Yeah, I mean, if he gets to that quarterfinal with Djokovic, which I have to say, I'm not sure I see that happening. I think I'd probably pick Goffin. To beat him at the moment. I was impressed with Goffat and Abu Dhabi. Yeah,
3: actually. he did play well, didn't he? You're the roving reporter for Eurosport on site here, Catherine. You can get that story if I can't. So, between us, Dominic, we're coming for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel really fired up to get that. Somebody um on Twitter posited the opinion that he's just a, a points tart. He just wants, you know, he just wants points any way he can I I don't think it's that I really don't I don't think it's a prize money thing I don't think it's I mean obviously he wants the points everyone wants the points but I don't think it's that I think I mean you suggested it was that thing of he just feels like he, he needs to play
3: I wonder whether Gunter Bresnik was trying to make him so hard that he could just handle anything later in his career. As another ball thuds into the glass window from a Yulia Gerges. it's not
1: making him hard. Did he look hard against Dan Evans in that third? Not set? yet, Did but
3: this looked... is work in progress, isn't it, Catherine? It's he, like he
1: was wilting under the pressure of Dan Evans. I'm not slagging off Dan <laughs> Evans, but Dan, Dan <laughs> went. Yes, you are. <laughs> no, he went to the in- on-court interview after the match yesterday, <laughs> and he said, "I'm really surprised. I thought the whole match would go like the first set went. He, I mean, he was compl- he was." he was and surprised. dan evans
3: lost that said 6-1 he was
1: surprised at how that match played out he thought maybe he had a chance he didn't think he'd be winning it 6-1 in the third
3: He, he? is a refreshing realist as yeah. dan evans he did picture a, a photo of a wooden spoon after the hopman cup in which he won zero <laughs> matches and britain finished bottom so you've you got to love that uh Catherine, the rest of the draw andy murray have a, let us know he's the top seed the world number one We've got Vadasko for Novak Djokovic first round. What Andy Murray got?
1: Ilya Marchenko of Ukraine. I, I think he'll be fine.
3: <laughs> I don't know too much about him. Do you know anything about him? But, I don't.
1: Didn't he get a set off Stan Vavrinka at the U.S. Open in like the third round? Something, not third because He played Dan Evans. He he isn't he the chap that um, <laughs> that uh, Kyrios pulled out of a match against the US Open. Could be. Anyway. As you can tell,
3: we've researched this thoroughly.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, Yeah, but I think... Send
3: us your Marchenko (laughs) facts. Last time we were getting uh, players mixed up with um, uh, prime ministers. Oh, and in fact, Simon Briggs, with uh, just a little bit of technological genius, has has pulled up his bio on the screen here. So what do we know about Ilya Marchenko and Andy Murray's opponents?
2: He was born in Dniprozynsk, or something very vaguely approximating. Correct. He's six feet one inch is tall. He's ranked 93 in
3: the world. Uh, He has been as high as 74 at the end of last year. And uh, yeah, at the Australian Open, he has only been beyond the first round once. And in fact, his best... Is as Catherine Whitaker rightly said, the U.S. Open fourth last year fourth round. Catherine Whitaker, take a bow.
1: Yeah, and you got a set off Stan Varenka. Thank you. Yeah, official Ilya Marchenko correspondent. He can go in the Victor Skugor category of obscure. Ips- Franco Skugor, Frank- you're
3: <laughs> still getting the bloke's name wrong. That's how well you know him. I mean, he, he did ring me up and he said, "Can you tell your co-comment?" co-presenter just to you know my name's not victor all right
1: moving on uh then it would be uh either Jensen lu the uh, the wily old Jensen lu who
3: beat okay? andy murray at yeah. the beijing was it no the athens olympics no, the no, beijing, beijing olympics no athens he, andy murray's about 11 yeah. sorry uh,
1: Jensen lu or uh, alex duminar the young australian they've got a big win in Brisbane didn't he beat somebody in Brisbane as a wild card and then had to or was it Sydney last week and then had to withdraw the next round he did, he did. You're laughing at me, but that Maybe did you're, happen.
3: You're just reading the draw, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't Am I? I have no idea. Uh, right, so who else have we got? In, I, am um, I am misreading okay, the draw.
1: I am misreading the draw. OK, so
3: Catherine get getting the draw wrong there. Uh, you got the Marchenko bit. You didn't get that bit right. So yeah, we no, got... Marchen- said so, it's so a qualifier or Jenson Liu, and then it could be that bloke, Demara, who, or whatever his name is, <laughs> who... Uh, <laughs> What's his name?
1: People are regretting their Kickstarter pledges as we speak. No. It's not, there's
3: not very good lighting in here. I can barely see this. <laughs>
1: that is totally what the issue is. No, well, I mean, essentially, the seed in that bit of the draw that Murray would theoretically meet in the third round is Sam Querrey.
3: Oh, no. Sam Querrey,
2: he's that bloke who beat Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon, isn't he? Yeah, I think he had a little bit of help, didn't he? I mean, he he played well. He didn't necessarily come in looking like a guy who was going to beat the world number one that day if the world number one played like the world number one so if Andy plays like the world number one I'm backing Andy
3: yeah and in fact Andy Murray I think has a very good record against Sam Querrey he tends to deal with those sort of uh kind of players with a big serve and a big forehand and not much else very well
1: yeah he'll he'll be be absolutely fine I I just don't see a scenario other than sort of injury or illness where Sam Querrey can trouble Andy Murray, uh, John Isner's then lurking in the next portion. I don't see. Or Luca Puy. Well, well, exactly. Luca Puy is the one there that could. Who I Andy mean, Murray always trouble beats anybody. Andy honestly. Murray always yeah, beats I mean, Luca Puy
2: easily. Yeah. Because I don't know why, huh? Because he's French. Andy always beats the French. And the Australians. It's that, that much of a generalisation.
1: And the Australians apparently. I mean, essentially, we're looking at. And then let's just cut to the chase, shall we? I mean, Federer. He's in Federer's quarter.
3: Oh, is that going to happen? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it will. Simon doesn't.
3: What do you think, Simon? Are we going to get Federer against Murray in the quarterfinals? And if so, if not, why not? Well, Roger further
2: scrambles my already scrambled brains because all my predictions, which we've seen before are pretty rubbish, uh, tend to be based on results coming in. And Roger, he doesn't have any results coming in, does he? He hasn't played since Wimbledon, um, apart from the exhibitions at the Hopman Cup. So, you know, when, when, when it was revealed that he was playing a qualifier in round one and round two, I was yelling, fix! Because uh, that does look too good to be true from the tournament's perspective. I mean, It's not fixed, don't worry. Um, don't sue me. And then in the third round, it seemed to me that Burditch was going to take him out because Burditch has been, you know, fairly busy and... Uh, Catherine Whittaker's shaking her head. He's not going to take him out? No. OK. Categoric. Right. And then, I mean, Nishikori actually, well, he's, he's not, go, not, not got the easiest of starts because he's going to play Kuznetsov, the man due to play Dan Evans tonight Dan, in Sydney. You mean
1: Dan Evans' next victim?
2: Quite right, Catherine. Potentially. So that's not a good start for Nishikori either. So I, I don't know. I, I just think Burditch might come through and play Andy in the quarters.
3: Yeah, that. Well, it's, I don't agree. I think I think we're going to get Federer against Murray. I think so, and I think that could be awesome as a match because it was here, I think about three years ago, that Federer absolutely destroyed Murray. Okay, Murray was coming back at that point from his, uh, his back surgery, and I think that that was an issue, but I remember watching that. And then Federer, as- apart from when he ended up playing the Dow, he was fantastic that, that year.
2: Isn't this the only place where Murray's ever beaten Federer in a slam?
3: Yeah, it was the year before. In fact, it, he got to the final, didn't he? After he'd won the US Open, he got to the final against Djokovic and lost it. But he beat Federer over five sets
2: in the semis. It was, it was the five-set thrashing, wasn't it? It was, it was that random match where he was way superior to Federer but couldn't seem to get the job done. And, and then he was pretty narky afterwards because I think he realised he, he'd majorly messed up. By yeah, he'd, he'd tie himself out. Yeah. And and actually,
3: that was the one where him and Federer had a bit of a falling out on the court. I'll never forget that. I, I, I was doing the sort of roving reporting job on Five Live while the, the other guys were commentating. And I remember watching on the big screen as you clearly saw the two of them were having words about something. And the crowd were were really... Ooh, yeah. this is interesting, isn't it? They're really getting into it here. And uh, I don't think the commentators necessarily could see that from where they were. But within the stadium, you could tell that Murray and Federer were, were irritated by one another that night. night.
1: can't imagine falling out with Roger Federer. How could you sleep at night? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds awful. That sounds just awful.
3: It does. Uh, so what what else is going on in the men's draw? Who else have you got to look out for? Any... Uh, any well, what, what's Nadal's draw like? What's what's Stan Vavrinka's draw like? That's a point. After nobody picked him, as I pointed out in that last uh, podcast.
1: I think vavrinka has got a good draw, which probably means he'll you know crash out first round. I mean, draws don't seem to be that relevant to Stan Vavrinka, do they? But his he's in the, the seeds in his region are Kyrgios, who seems to be injured and undercooked and all over the place. Saw him sprinting down the corridor earlier, almost uh, ran into a door. Um, Marin Cilic. Um, who I think will do well, but won't challenge for the title. Uh, Bernard Tomic, who is being assaulted in the Australian media at the moment for his weight. He looks absolutely fine to me, but there are all sorts of weight issues fat based puns in the australian press about him apparently he's lost four kilos in a week he's gone on some kind of extreme diet in order to cancel out his christmas i need to have a word with him about
3: that <laughs> i could do one of those
1: uh songers in there as i say kirios cuevas troitski they are the seeds in varinka's section so i would call that a decent draw for sam varinka nadal you mentioned uh he is in the third quarter with Raonic, Simon Ferrer, Bautista Gut, and uh, his fourth round opponent would potentially be Monfils but I have to point out that Zverev is his potential third round opponent.
3: How far is Nadal going to go Catherine is he going to get by Zverev and all of those other ones
1: you mentioned? I think Zverev might beat him in the third round. Yeah, there. What do you think, Simon?
2: Well, I, I actually like Nadal a lot more in terms of, I see him as more of a force right now than Roger. So I think he's going to go to the semi. Um, I just I, I liked the Moyer appointment. I know he's an old mate and they've been working together since Rafa was knee-high to a grasshopper, but it just seemed to me to be a, a, a reconfirmation of how much he wants it. So we're going to get Nadal
3: Djokovic in the semis? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. We are. I agree with Simon Briggs. Yeah, on the Tennis Podcast, Catherine.
1: I mean, I I agree. I like the appointment. I sat in this exact position that we're in earlier and watched Nadal practice with Chilich, and I thought he looked great. He was being really hard on himself out of interest. He was cursing himself, shaking his head, throwing things. I thought he looked fine.
3: Throwing things? Nadal?
1: I mean, gently.
3: (laughs) Okay, gently.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm not saying he'll lose to Zverev because I think, oh, he's a spent force and he's playing rubbish. I'm saying that because I think Zverev is a future world number one and he's... You know, not for a couple of years, but he's, he's ready to take a scalp in a grand slam.
3: OK, before we move on to the women's draw, Simon, what about the British guys, the other ones apart from Andy Murray? How are their draws
2: looking to you? Yeah, they both lost in the first round last year. And... Evans and Edmund we're talking
3: about. Yeah. So, And what about Bedene as well? That's the other one we've got to mention. So go through those
2: two first. Well, yeah, Kyle, I think, I mean, he's, he's on to play you Novak know, in the third round if he gets that far. But I, just, I, I think he's done really well in his first two rounds because he's coming up against Santiago Geraldo. And then it's, um, it's Pablo Carino Busta. Who, I mean, if you're going to get a seed, didn't he play him in the French? Not the worst draw, is it?
1: No, it, I, I'd, I'd say it's a great draw, really. I I, I think, I mean, yeah, okay, Carl could play Djokovic in round three, but, but we had a mini discussion of this before we uh, started recording. And I mean, that's fine. If you're Kyle Edmund facing a, big seed in round three is that's fine what, what you're looking at is getting through to round three at this stage i mean hopefully further on in his career he'll be looking beyond that but yeah i'd say it's a good draw dan Evans has got a winnable one has
2: yeah. he what who's he got sam briggs facundo bagnes and he's actually right next to alias bedenier who's got victor estrella burgos who's quite, quite a good story isn't he? he's a dominican republic uh, guy who came in very late to the top level well not quite the top level but the grand slam isn't he about 42 He's
1: he's pretty old. I think he's the like the oldest first time title winner. He won a title last year on the ATP tour. I think he was the oldest first time title winner. Like he made his breakthrough at about 32. So and and I remember it was 3 years ago at the French Open that he first qualified for a Grand Slam and he was the first ever person from the Dominican Republic to play a a, a main draw grand slam. He, he is a good story. It's a good story. So
3: that's Estrella Burgos. He's up against Aliash Bedoné, the uh, the British player. And uh, well, we, what do we think? There, I think all three of those British players are going to win.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dan Evans coming in as Sydney champion. he that win the whole tournament, couldn't he? <laughs> uh,
3: let's have a look at who he might reach in the final of the Australian Open. Yeah, which <laughs> but, section of the draws in?
1: I mean, he was... Sort of technically, one point away from winning the U.S. Open, wasn't he? If you look at it in a certain light. Yes, he was.
3: Catherine uh, He had he's, match he's, point he's, against Stan Wawrinka. Who won it?
2: He got Chilich second round. That'll that'll put pay to Dan. But I mean, oh, yeah. look, I, I I really like what he's doing. I'm very and we all we all really enjoy his, his kind of attitude and his, his difference and his sense of humor. So good on him. Absolutely. Now the women's draw
3: is obviously headlined by the woman who is just a few feet away from us, practicing inside the Rod Laver Arena at the moment, Angelique Kerber, but. She She has been having, at the start of this year, a pretty torrid time. I saw her matches at the start of the year in both Brisbane and then in Sydney she lost to Daria Kasatkina in straight sets. Now, Kasatkina, I think, is the Zverev of the women's tour. I think she is going to be a star. Wonderful prospect. But... That is a heavy defeat, Catherine. Seven five six two I think it was. Looking at her on course at the moment I've seen she's she's got her coach Torben Belts there. There's there's been a lot of encouragement from him, sort of high fiving, but it feels to me that we're looking at a player searching for form at the moment. It isn't there.
1: Yeah, and I don't think the draw will help with whatever she's got going on mentally. I think early on she could be fine, but she's in Daria Kazakina's section um Roberta vinci in there as well uh suarez navarro uh zhang shui they're the ones that, I, I mean kazakhina is is the worry in that section Jeannie bouchard's in there as well that she uh, had a hard loss to joe conter last night in sydney um i'm worried for angelique kerber honestly i feel like i should keep my voice down because mm-hmm. she might be able to hear me it feels rude to talk about her while she's standing right there receiving Sir, from Julia Gerges. Um, I'm a bit worried for her. I spoke to the representatives of German Eurosport earlier, uh, my lovely colleagues, and they're worried for us as, as well. They're, they're hopeful.
3: What's the issue? Why what, what are they worried? Just lack of form?
1: Lack of form, lots going on. Off the court, so many more commitments than there were this time last year. I mean, a whole different world, different stratosphere of commitments, as you can imagine. You know, sponsor appearances left, right, and centre. Um, I don't think there's any suggestion that she's out of shape She's just top edged one into the <laughs> sky. And now,
3: I don't speak German, but I know she's swearing right now. She looks, she's just kicked the ground.
1: She's doing an arsey face to rival mine. I mean, she looks not bad, fitness bad. wise in. Great shape. I don't think there's any suggestion that she's not working hard enough. I think the suggestion is perhaps mentally, there is so much going on and there's so much pressure on her. I mean, she's defending a Grand Sam title. She's never done that before. I know we always say, David, that there's only so much that can be read into a practice. We always talk about, well, you particularly have a thing about people watching practices and going, oh, they're hitting the ball so well. I mean, <laughs> yes, of course they are. Uh, but She's being pretty hard on her mistakes, isn't she? she body language-wise, we saw a top edge that one a minute ago. She's, she's practising returns against the pretty handy serve of Yulia Gerges. But still, she doesn't look like a world number one in her pomp just now.
3: No, and Simon, I think the difference with her, as opposed to other world number ones and other top seeds generally is I don't feel that this is a player who can who can sail and cruise through a draw finding her form necessarily and just brushing people aside I don't think she's that good I think she, when she's at her very best, she's the world number one unless Serena Williams is playing her best. That, that is kind of how I would view it. There's a couple of players at their best, I think Muguruza is in there as well, that are better players than Angelique Kerber if they're all at the best. But she's the one who's had the consistency all of last year, hence the results she's got. H- have nothing but the highest respect for her. If she's a bit off, Simon, I think she's more vulnerable than most.
2: Yeah, I think this is maybe not a very unkind thing to say, but she's probably the scruffiest world number one technically I've ever seen. That forehand is, is not one you would coach. The serve is pretty crazy too. Uh, and all credit to her for what she's done, because it's it's mental primarily the way that she showed that she was tougher in the head last season than anybody else in the tour. And I've got to say, I really like her as a person, was really tough for her. Um, actually enjoy watching her, even though it's a bit of a mess. She plays quite entertaining um, counter-punching style. When she's playing a big hitter, it's great to watch. So, got a lot of time for her, but at the same time, she's a bit of an anomaly. She doesn't really come from any recognisable place. There's nobody you compare to to her way of hitting the ball. And, you know, Catherine was pointing out that there's so many people in this draw who could beat her. Actually, if she was in form, it's a fantastic draw, but because she's in such awful form, it looks like a minefield. Now, I would refer you now to the opposite quarter. So that was a top quarter. The bottom quarter, which Johanna Konta has ended up in, that is an absolute nightmare, even if you're playing at your best. I mean, Konta has got a relatively fir- good first round against Flipkins, I'd say. Then she's got Naomi Aguzarco, who had a brilliant tournament here last year, reaching the third round and qualifying. Then she could have Wozniacki... And then she could have Chibulkova before she's even got to a potential quarter final against Serena Williams. Now, we've probably been watching Conter. She was magnificent yesterday in destroying Bouchard in Sydney. But, wow, that's a cumulative workload, isn't it? Unless some of those guys hit early snags, um, you know, draws don't matter sometimes, but draws could matter here. She's had a shocker. And that is th- th- the point, isn't it, Catherine,
3: that draws can fall apart you don't necessarily end up meeting all the players you're projected to meet nobody enjoys trying to size up a draw and work out who's going to face who more than myself but if say so, if if that ends up coming to pass and those sort of players that Simon's mentioned do face Joe Conta it's I can see where he's coming from. That is a, a, about as rough as it gets early on because, I mean, Naomi Osaka alone is a player that we've raved about as somebody we think could be a top player of the future. And and it it just carries on and on for her as as Simon mentioned there. I mean, Wozniacki in that section. I mean, that is tough.
1: Yes, it's an absolute... Horror show. Yeah. I mean, Osaka, I would put in the Zverev category of ready to make. I mean, she's kind of already has had the Grandstand Breakthrough, but she almost did it. uh, The US Open, didn't she? We talked, we did our daily podcast there and I talked about seeing her crying in the corridors afterwards. And uh, yeah, that alone is horrible. Wozniacki, then Sybil then Serena. I mean, even if, you know, one of those ends up not happening or one or two, it's really hard to see her getting anywhere near where she got to last year. And I I feel for her on that front. Maybe it'll take the pressure off. Same Maybe. time,
3: one-to-one, she's the favourite in probably half of those, I would say. I mean, she's probably favourite against uh, certainly Osaka. She, I don't know, I'd put her as favourite against Wozniaki just about. If she played Sybil Kover, I'd probably
1: 50-50. Yeah, I mean, she ought to be favourite against Wozniaki. But I don't know. I do not know whether the bookies would have that one. She's certainly favorite until Wozniacki. but from that, that point on, it's probably 50/50 at, at best. I feel for her. The, the best that can be hoped for is that it completely takes the pressure off and she's able to surprise us all once again. She's done it plenty of
0: times. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs.
1: Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
3: Serena Williams, uh, Simon Briggs. First of all, just nice to have her back on the circuit. She had a, we were talking about it in the previous show about how much she hated Auckland because of all its wind and uh, difficult conditions in that respect, but... She still lights up a draw, doesn't she? Because you know, well, this is the arguably the greatest player of all time that we're watching right now, still trying to break all the records.
2: Well, yeah, and it's interesting because no form, obviously, has won victory since the US Open, um, didn't have a good time in Auckland. On the other hand, looked down that top ten and, wow, I mean... There's a lot of space available at the top of women's tennis. There's nobody, if Kerber continues to look as shaky as she is right now, there's nobody saying, this is mine, I am the one to beat. So you'd think if Serena can get some momentum up, great chance. Having said that, she has got the equivalent first round to Novak. Now, they're both number two in the world. (laughs) They're both possibly underrated at number two in the world uh and while novak is playing fadasco uh williams has belinda bencic which is a tough start
3: so. i mean on paper that's a horrendous start because belinda bencic is another of those players that we think has the potential to be top five in the world in years to come and, and a grand slam champion but Catherine, she hasn't got any sort of form she retired a, a week ago because what was an awful Uh, i think toenail injury that was that ripped off it looked horrible uh the the picture she posted um she she has had illness and ill health for much of the last year i mean really i can't see it
1: oh i can't either and she does she's a great player i love to watch her but she doesn't have the weapons to be able to win a match when she is not fully fit or not feeling great so i'm afraid i i fear for her there as much as on paper that looks like a mouth-watering first-round clash i think it could be a bit of a a rout, and that will be sad to see for bencic because yeah it's been an awful time bit like um well not even quite as bad as Tanasi kokanakis who withdrew today i mean it's such a shame isn't it it's just awful i mean he's yeah barring his attempted return at the olympics he's i mean these crucial years of his career and he's just not even able to pick up a racket It's yeah terrible and he
3: did well to win the brisbane i think it was brisbane doubles or was it a couple of weeks ago and i mean you know i thought here we go but it's an abdominal injury. It's not a shoulder injury. Hopefully it's just a sort of the body's not used to this stuff anymore kind of injury and he can get over it and gradually work his way back. But that's one of the problems, isn't it? Trying to come back at this level and this intensity, it's its tough.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not a serious injury, this one. The shoulder has obviously been a shocker. Um, but he's got loads and loads of time, hasn't he? Um, he's ahead of... <laughs> poor old laura who uh oh yeah of course you saw her in um,
3: laura Upson in qualifying yesterday
2: yeah well laura um just could not hit the ball it was it was really quite upsetting and, and she was very upset as well and she had a mental block she admitted it she went out on court immediately before the match she had this flashback to 2014 flipkins her first round when she shouldn't have played probably in hindsight her tendonitis was flaring up she had the operation three months later didn't play for 18 months afterwards so she talked about going to see a sports psychiatrist, something that she's going to do, um, something that she's has been doing since Christmas. Um, she's in that situation a bit like Kokonakis, where um, a really lengthy layoff has left her in, in a bit of a mess. But she, he has got more time.
1: Why? is she, My question about that, I found her post-match quotes yes, did, was it yesterday or two days ago, very, very interesting, revealing that she remembered, just as she was about to walk onto the court, that the last time she had played here in Melbourne Park was the last time she had played. It, it, she didn't pay for 18 months afterwards. Why was that the moment when she realised that? Why hadn't she had that conversation with her coach or a sports psychologist or something? Why was that only occurring to her at that minute? Surely that's something you've got to address before then. Do, I mean, I, I found it amazing.
3: I must say, looking at her quotes, uh, Simon... It did seem that she was kind of seeing a sports psychologist under duress, really. She was making herself do it. And frankly, she would rather not be doing all that rubbish. That, that's, how, that's
2: how it read to me. Yeah, it's a slow evolution for her. And she said it's not going to happen overnight. And I think that's a very important thing that she has to digest. Because what has actually happened with Laura is that she had a little good run in September. She won uh, the Landisville Challenger in Florida. She qualified for the US Open. She got 90 points. That's almost half her total in a, in a matter of weeks. She thought she was there. She thought she was on the escalator. She thought she was going back into the conversation and suddenly it fell away again. She got ahead of herself. Um, it, she almost needs to understand that she's got to be very, very patient. But I mean, you feel for her. She was really open about her feelings yesterday. She spoke very honestly and, and you know felt so much sympathy for her because... She's a good person and uh, and has been a great player and and is a terrible loss at the moment, slightly papered over in a very narrow sense of British women's tennis being held up by Johanna Konta. But you know we've lost a, in the meantime. We've lost a a real talent and and a player who's a joy to watch. And, I th- and the
3: comparison that I read, I think maybe in your piece, certainly about the the, the sheer contrast between Conter and Robson and the way they've changed places in the, the last three or four years. I mean, let's not forget, Robson on this court was beating,
2: beating Petra Kvitova four years ago. But the, the, the slams were when she came alive, weren't they? Uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a grim tale. Um, I mean, it's also true that Heather Watson's got a lot to prove. I really feel that she has been in a slump ever since that uh, Serena Williams um, highlight on... Court. Did she win Auckland a year ago? Hobart, I think. it Sorry, was. Sorry, Hobart. Yeah. Um, so that was her last sort of real highlight. Um, she just isn't delivering and has an interesting first round against Sam Stoser, who also doesn't enjoy this tournament historically. Yeah,
3: that'd be that'd be an interesting first round.
1: And Naomi Brody's got uh, an Aussie as well, Daria Gavrilova. A greater contrast in tennis players you could not wish. Actually, that would be a
3: good match to <laughs> yeah, watch, wouldn't it? I think, think
1: it'd be cracking. I love watching Gavrilova. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. I think, yeah, Watson and Sam Stosur. That's yeah, a, a mental a, a, a race to the bottom mentally. <laughs>
3: Excellent. Anything else that, that that stands out for you, Simon? We're going to get Simon Briggs' uh, uh, predictions for the title. Catherine and I are not going to give ours. Simon's <laughs> just got his head in his hands right now because he hates this bit when we just strong-arm him into telling us exactly what's happened. But he's the Telegraph's co- tennis correspondent. He knows everything. That's, that's, that's just a fact. Catherine and I, however, we're going to just hold our fire a little bit because we're entering our predictions tournament with our fellow listeners who've bid for the opportunity to take us on on kickstarter we're going to be uh, pulling all the categories together over the next uh, few hours and sending those out and making our predictions so we've got a bit longer catherine so look we, we better just i tell you what let's have a chat between ourselves while simon pours over the draw and tries to work how he's going to get himself out of this
1: well this is a bit off topic but just to pick up on uh, not to uh, Labour the point about Angelique Kerber, but just while you're having that chat with Simon, there she was sat down at the at, at the chair with her with her coach and her fitness trainer. Uh, I mean, and she was cursing, and I mean, she was having a very very intense chat with them. I mean, the body language is deteriorating by the minute, and it's not starting from a you know definitely all is not well without question. Without question, she's having. Yeah, tough time out there, and it's, it's, it's only practice.
3: Karolina Pliskova, I notice, is at the top half of the bottom section of the draw. Um, the she draw yeah, she could end up playing Radvanska in the uh, the quarters, and then maybe Serena Williams in the semis, who knows, it's all very interesting. And uh, we've got Kerber up against Lesia Serenko, and uh, we mentioned Kasatkina. Kerber Kasatkina could happen in the fourth round. Uh, Roberta Vinci's in that bit as well. Uh, And then Garbina Magarutha. My pick for the title, everybody. Let's not forget that because I did come on uh, the podcast and say that a couple of days ago, didn't I, Catherine? You did, yeah. You did. Gutsy me. Uh, so, Simon Briggs, we've given you enough time. Mm-hmm. So it could be Mugarutha uh, Kerber in the quarters. And then, oh, Venus Williams is down there in the bottom section there uh, with Simona Halep. So, Simon, uh, what, what are your finals going to end up being in the men's and the women's draws? Um,
2: Pliskova is going to win the title. That's my, that's my big call. I love it
3: when Simon Briggs is on. He just gives us these sort of really gutsy... But they're always wrong,
2: (laughs) almost without exception. Being correct is not relevant. (laughs) Pliskova will win the title, and she will play Halep
3: in the final. Mm. Okay, Sam Briggs.
2: Uh, What about the men's? Uh, Novak will win the title. Um, I'm going to resort to a Brad Gilbertism and say that the tax man is going to collect. Um, And yeah, I think he'll... uh, He'll be Andy in the final again.
3: Yes, we've been there before, haven't we? <laughs> uh, we've been in this room when it's happened. Uh, so, Simon Briggs, just a, a quick word on uh, the story you were telling us earlier on about uh, Michael Downey stepping down as the chief executive of the Lawn Tennis Association. Um, been there for three years. Obviously, Britain generally has had a lot of success within tennis. Um, but what is your conclusion as to what uh, what that period has
2: been like? It's been a mixed bag um, participation has been the stated priority, and I think he's done a decent job there um and has shown some um you know some understanding of marketing and made some strides with local authorities uh performance has been a shocker really uh, and yet. I, I, you say that, and you think, well, hold on, we've got
3: all these good players. Everybody's winning stuff. We've got Dan Evans and Karl Edmund and and uh, and Conter and Watson and Murray and and all these. So, what do you mean?
2: Now, I'm talking about you know the performance based centres which are working with the younger players who haven't made it onto the tour. There's been an interesting little uh, unexpected outcome because you had a lot of money under Draper that drew people in, kept them in the game set up a lot of coaching and and background that wasn't necessarily healthy for those players in the long run it happened to stop almost overnight with Johnny came in the money went away but the foundations had been laid and actually it was a law of unintended consequences it's worked brilliantly you know somebody like Conta has been forced out of the system has made her own way and has gone from a platform that was established to taking off you know like a like a space rocket and that but there wasn't sort of a master plan it just It worked out rather brilliantly. But that's not what I'm talking about in terms of there there has to be a performance department that is run in a logical and orderly way. And what we got was Bob Brett, the most inappropriate appointment to head of performance you could ever imagine, followed by um, Peter Keene, who was kind of interesting, but only there for a year. And now I think Simon Timpson will be... um, you know, probably a good appointment. So you
3: met him, I think, didn't you, recently?
2: Yeah, I did a piece with him this week in which he talked about going to visit the, the Moneyball man, Paul De Podesta, who turned the Oakland A's into... or is that the Oakland Athletics? Are they the same or different? I don't know. Turned them into a force in baseball and is now working at the Cleveland Browns. And that was that was a good headline for me. I quite enjoyed that interview. And uh, Timpson is a, definitely a, a very likeable fella and has been uh, extremely... Uh, popular already in his early days at the lta he's, he's, he's got a lot about him
3: yeah i certainly know tim henman speaks well of him so anyway we wish um, michael downey all the best he's going back to uh, be the ceo of tennis canada uh, i must say from a personal perspective as somebody who works at the Aegon championships at the queen's club and is media director there he has always been very supportive of that particular event and and i think certainly that that has gone um from strength to strength i suppose i would say that really wouldn't that katherine whittaker but yeah, so, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's just move on. Uh and Whittaker, anything else you want to say?
1: I just have one completely random bit of any other business. It's not necessarily a comment on it, but Vasek Pospisil lost in round one Collies mm. this week. Wimbledon quarter-finalist a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. Round one Collies loss. Brought Mark Woodford on board. I mean, it's very early days for that relationship. I don't necessarily think it says anything about the relationship with Mark Woodford, but crikey, that's a tailspin, isn't it? When
3: you, Simon... Go off the tour, and you've, you've you've said it in the most dramatic way, illustrated by Robson. Mm. It is not necessarily going to be straightforward to come back, is it? If you have an injury, and I mean, poor old Petra Kvitova, it's horrendous, horrific what has happened to her. She's, you would hope, got the natural talent to sail through elements of it, and she's got the protected ranking. But for a lot of players, when they have a debilitating injury, it can be really tough. Is that the case with Pospetil,
2: or is it, is it form...?
1: It's mostly form, mostly... Me- I mean, there have been niggly injuries here here and there, but no, it's certainly not been a Laura Robson story with Posta Bacillis. But, I mean, yeah, it's been just form. And I like him. serves involved. I do too. I think he's great. I, I mean, lovely chap, nice to watch play. Well, as soon as you got behind him, look what happened. <laughs> I know, it's been a disaster. I just, yeah, it's it's awful to witness. And he plays, you know, he's had great success in doubles. Obviously, the partnership with Jack Sock has dissolved, which I find bit strange because jack sock said he didn't want to play doubles because he wanted to focus on singles doesn't want to be a doubles player but now he started playing with john isner so mm-hmm. that seems a bit strange but um possible still teamed up with stepanek for this year so hopefully his prospects in doubles are good but he doesn't want him to be a specialist doubles player with all due respect he is a wimbledon singles quarter finalist you know it's not it's not where he wants to be final yeah, point it, i oh, just want um...
2: to say that that does have ramifications for where we're going where four of us in the media brigade are going after Melbourne because we're all going to Ottawa to uh, to freeze our bits off. Um, and that is um, interesting because who is going to be the Canadian number two? Doesn't it look like there's two easy points there for the taking, which if Andy doesn't play, let's say he gets to the final here and is beaten by Novak and is really leg-weary, it's all going to come down to those doubles. Actually, Pospital and Nesta might be lethal in doubles, so... Anyway, that's where we're going after him. That's an interesting trip, isn't it? Straight from here to there. You looking forward to that? It's a packing challenge. That was my main objection because it's going to be 30 degrees here and minus 30 there. Crikey. (laughs) That's Simon
3: Briggs' next month, everybody. Uh, So any big shocks that we should look out for in the Australian Open draw to go along with your final picks, Simon?
2: Mm. Um, I, gonna I, lose early? Well no, I, all I would say is is if you've got a chance to watch uh, Miloth Raonic against Dustin Brown, I think that might be quite fun.
3: Oh yeah, I'm watching that. Catherine, you anything stand out for you that we should just sort of put a marker pen highlight on?
1: Well, I've I've I s see, i have seem to have in a roundabout way predicted that Kerber will lose early, so but not first round though, Not first round Serenka. I mean Nadals Verev, I'm looking at so are we looking at first round? Is that no, what whatever you like? Just, you know, is
3: there anything that sticks out that you say, I'm going tell you what, I'm going to, hello everybody at Eurosport, I'm just going to take a couple of hours off because I'm going to go and watch that. Um, take that as a no.
1: I thought we weren't doing, predict. I thought I thought Simon Briggs, we were having a chat while Simon I'm Briggs was getting I'm not asking to you to study. pick
3: the winners, for goodness sake, I just want to know is there anything that sticks out as exciting to look out for for our listeners. Everybody hangs on Catherine Whitaker's words, for goodness sake. All of it, David, all of it just watch Australian <laughs> Open on Eurosport it's Catherine Whitaker's roundabout way of drawing attention to our partners on the tennis podcast this fortnight one of them the other one is Telegraph read all about what Simon Briggs has got to say watch Catherine Whitaker on television we're also going to be running a competition at tennis podcast on Twitter for the Eurosport player we've got 3 uh, passes free passes for a month to uh, watch the Eurosport player only available on the tennis podcast courtesy of a competition that we're going to run i've just got to think up what that competition is catherine
1: oh right it's open to us we can designate how the prize can be won
3: basically yeah yeah so get your thinking cap on really tough questions i only want the very best of the best listening in and getting access wow. to those uh passes
1: whole lot of fun. Prizes to be won.
3: Absolutely right. Uh, Now, so that's basically it, folks. Here on the Tennis Podcast, we are going to be back every day of these championships to bring you the very latest of what's been going on, what's coming up. We can't wait, and we'll speak to you soon. Hold
0: up. What was that?